You know, I found this uh, I found this church in Dallas online. It's called the Upper Room. You might have heard of it, I don't know. But uh, they have prayer for out, like morning, noon, and day, just about every day of the week. And you can go online, Upper Room, Dallas, Google it, you'll find the website. And they will live stream their worship sessions and their prayer times. I joined in on Friday night. And they don't have agendas. They don't have set lists. I mean, it's just scripture and prayer and worshiping our God, simply put. But they're seeing miracles happen. One of their worship leaders was a former homosexual who got delivered from all of that. That's just one miracle. You've seen, they've seen hundreds of salvations, backs healed, mir- I mean, and it all just came from a heart of, of positioning themselves in prayer and in the word. How refreshing that there's not a show, there's not a program, there's not a man with his agenda trying to build his kingdom up there, but it's, It's just people wanting God and wanting more of Him. And they're not stopping. Morning, noon, and night, they're not stopping. They're crying out, Father, would you come fill up this heart? The brokenness, heal it. God, would you just come? I just need you. That's it. I just want more and more of you. I don't need anything else because the Bible tells me, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all else will be given unto me, right? That's it. Just more of God. So before we jump in, just get there to that place right there. You don't need a word from me. You don't need a word from anybody else. You don't even need the miracle. You need the miracle worker. So God, that's, that's, that's where we are. Anything is in our life, God, that's keeping us from just burning desire after you. Remove it, Lord. Get the coal from the altar and touch my lips, because woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and so is all my kind. Holy Spirit, burn us up. In Jesus' name, amen. How do you start a message after that? God's been messing me up, people, and it's good. And I love it. Last week, I preached a message um, titled CrossFit. I like to work out, so I titled my message CrossFit. This is CrossFit Part 2, okay? Subtitle, if you're taking notes, just just write bearing fruit in each season, okay? And then trust me, you're going to want to take some notes. So get a pen and paper, grab the little offering sheet out of the back of the chair, use that as notes. You're going to have to write real small, okay? Because I'm about to just fire hose a lot at you, 
Okay, the problem was not what to preach. It was limiting what I needed to preach, okay? I had two pages of notes last week. I have six this week. So get ready, amen? Last week, if you weren't with us, let me just recap what we talked about, okay? If you notice, there's a plaque on the back wall there that says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, okay? And when I read that verse up on the wall, that's Hebrews 13, 8, I was convicted because I saw in the one that I follow a consistency that I don't see in myself. There's something about Christ that allows him, Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 says, that he humbled himself in obedience to the Lord even unto death. And he was consistent in doing that every day of his life. That's how he was perfect. That was the key. His consistency in placing himself before the Father at all time. And I look at that and I look at me and there's a big, big gap. So we went to Hebrews 5.14 last week and we, we learned that some of us are still infants in the Lord. That although we've been walking with the Lord a long time or a short time, we still need milk. We still need the things a baby needs in order to sustain ourselves. And we should be teaching others how to follow the Lord, but yet we just don't get it because we don't listen. The word there for listen, um, that's all over the Bible in the Hebrew, is uh, Shema, I believe is how you say it. Shema, and it means to listen. But the New Testament, from the Old Testament, means to listen. The New Testament brings it to listen under, like a subordinate type of listening. We also get that same word, Shema, means obedience. So we're still infants because we don't listen. Or in other words, we're still infants because we don't obey. When we hear the voice of the Lord, we don't move in response. So our church finished a fast last Sunday as a denomination. We had 21 days of prayer. Then we came together that next Wednesday and had our 48 mop, 48 minutes of prayer. And the word that came out of that for us, and I'm, I'm even last night, I was at a meeting at the Hanley's house, and it was confirmed again that God is moving now. An increase is available to us now for right now. The calling on your life is not for later. It's not behind you. It's now. So live a life worthy of your calling. We talked about endurance is that key substance that we're missing. If we can endure the trials and the tribulations like James 1, 2 through 4 says, if we let endurance, patience, long-suffering, all the similar words there in the Greek, if we let those things have their perfect work in us, just like Jesus did, we will, we, it will produce godly character. We will be perfect and blameless, lacking nothing. That's how he did it. He was enduring the cross for us. He endured the daily walk with us. He was led by the Holy Spirit. And so he was the same yesterday, today, and forever. A perfect sacrifice on the cross for us. And what did he do? He traded with us. He said, listen, here's my perfectness. I'll take your sin. That's what the cross is. Giving us our right standing with the Father again. That's what we talked about last week. How to endure. We, we used CrossFit as a, as a picture of when we start working out, you can use a PVC pipe 
and it'll still whoop your butt because you go to the gym for the first time I have not gone, you're going to be sore for weeks after, right? Amen? Anybody? Am I preaching to anybody else? Word, right? So we use CrossFit for that. And then we saw a guy who walks in the anointing of God, just told the story of Roy and his discipline and the Bible. And we compared those two and we said, listen, it's okay if you're an infant, but it's not okay if you stay an infant. You hear me? So you need to start walking it out, enduring that season, so you can get to solid food. Because Hebrews 5.14 says, those who eat solid food, it's for the mature, because they have trained themselves to discern what is right and wrong. That's what solid food is. So it's okay if you're an infant. Join me in my infancy, okay? God's changing my dirty diapers along with everybody else's. I'm telling you, he's messing me up because I can, I'm, as he brings revelation, you're responsible to hear and obey. So as I hear this word, I don't want to hear it because now I'm responsible to walk it out. And I think, sorry, if you don't want to hear this, you might just want to leave because you might not want to be responsible for hearing the word of the Lord today. So, you ready? It's going to just fire hose it right here, okay? Before we get started, there's two things. I actually supposed to have three, but I lost one. I'm going to cover some material that many a book has been written on, and I will not do it justice. So if this sparks your heart, grab a copy. This one is called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Dr. Donald S. Whitney. He's from the uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And I don't care if he's Baptist, Pentecostal, whatever. This is some Holy Spirit goodness right here. Okay, this is Jesus' kingdom-minded principles right here. Started reading it. It's good. Okay, it'll teach you about the spiritual disciplines that we'll be talking about. Another one, The Divine Conspiracy. I haven't had a chance to get into this one yet, but it's on my list. By Dallas Willard, he also wrote The Spirit of Discipline. That will, I'll mention some of his quotes from this today, but another great book on spiritual disciplines. And then another book you can pick up, excuse me, is, uh, is Celebration of Discipline by Foster. Um, and he, he writes about the inward disciplines and the outward disciplines about several different things. We're going to cover a couple of them today. And I know it's going to be kind of monotonous and maybe a little boring for you guys, but it's, it's huge and important, okay? All right, so let's jump into it. Books are out of the way. Listen, it's easy for me to say we've got to endure, we've got to start moving towards maturity, but the question that comes to your mind, How? How do I do this? You're telling me this is what I need. God's speaking to me. It's true. How? And I want to tell you, if you go to the gym, we're going to use this analogy again, and you're the guy, talking to you, Carrie, and you're the guy who's taking pictures in the mirror of yourself, flexing, trying to look all good, and all the weights behind you are just sitting there, not being lifted, you're fooling yourself. Because you're not working out. You're at the gym. That's a good step. It's a big step. 
But so many people in the fitness industry will walk into a gym and they'll feel good about themselves so they don't have to really push it because like, I've already got to the gym today, check, moving on to the Whataburger. <laughs> they, they get to the gym and really what's happened is those people who are taking pictures of themselves, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes they're just conceited. But another time is, they walk in and they see all the machines and all the weights and they have no idea what to do. They're at the gym. Somebody told them they need to start working out. So they say, okay, that's true. Got a little tire on my stomach. I'm going to go work out. I get there. I don't know what to do. So what do they do? They get a personal trainer, right? Tony, oh, sorry, not Tony Dungy. He's a good guy though. Tom Landry, Dallas Cowboys uh, coach for three decades, said the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. So you get a personal trainer that's here to say, lift that weight, and you're saying, I don't want to lift it. Lift the weight. I don't want to lift it. And three months from now, when you have biceps, triceps, pecs, all that stuff, you're going to thank that coach, that personal trainer. My job today is to come to you like a coach and saying, lift. Let's do this. Run. Let's go. And you're going to say, I don't want to. And I'm going to say, I don't care. Okay? We're just going to make you run until you throw up because that's how the coaches did for me. <laughs> All right? Spiritually, I'm going to prod you and poke you today to run, to get out there, to grow in your disciplines. Okay? The word discipline, first of all, let's jump into some scripture before John Poe keeps talking. If you jump over to 1 Timothy 4.7, 1 Timothy 4.7 with me, let's look at that. First Timothy 4, 7 says this. It says, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Stop. Is this not what we get into in Bible study? Oh, sweet. He put it up there. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. So often in biblical studies, we do this. We argue semantics. We argue theological points that churches have divided over but have really nothing to do with Christ, just how we practice our worship to Christ. So we argue and debut. And clearly, don't do that. Moving on. It says, instead, train yourself to be godly. Another uh, translation says discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness i like that translation better discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness that word discipline there in the greek is uh amnasia if i said that right amnasia it's where the word it's where we get the word gymnasium and gymnastics from it means to exercise to work out god wants us to work out not in and of itself for working out, but for the purpose of godliness. And godliness can simply be summed up as this, intimacy with Jesus Christ. The closer you are with God, the closer you are with Jesus, the more godly you are. You can't help it. Moses is up on the mountain with God. 
He gets in his presence. They literally have to put a veil over his face because his face was shining with the glory of God. Just being physically in his presence changed him. And so we want to discipline ourselves for that purpose, to be changed and transformed by God, right? God is going to do this in three major ways. If you're taking notes, here we go. Three major ways. Number one, it's people. Oh, he uses people, doesn't he? Come on, parents. I know you're talking about your kids right now in your head. He uses people. He uses your spouse. Both friends he uses. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17 says, So iron sharpens another, iron sharpens iron and another man sharpens another. Something like that. So our friends and our family and our loved ones, they come in, they encourage us, they build us up. But he also uses our enemies. And they come in like sandpaper and start to work on the coarse areas in our life and start to shave off the rough edges in us. And God uses people. This is an outward to inward discipline process. And you can react in flesh or you can be led by the Spirit. It's your choice. But God is constantly calling us as people come and get on our nerves or encourage us. He quickens us and says, respond like I would. Right? Number one, God uses people. Number two, circumstances. You might have been born with a certain circumstance that you can't change. Financially, physically, mentally, emotionally. In your young life, something might have happened to you that you've walled off. You might have gotten a promotion at one point. Good or bad, God is going to use your circumstances to teach you how to walk like Christ in your daily life so that you can be the same yesterday, today, and forever. Good or bad, people, circumstances. Again, circumstances is another outward to inward discipline process that God will use. It's a catalyst for change in our life. He uses the world to teach us the kingdom because that's how God that's how good God is what the enemy meant for evil God turns and uses for our good Genesis 50 I think 12 or 13 for God works all things together for the good of those who love him Romans 8 28 the third thing and this is the one we're going to talk about the majority of the day the third thing God uses to discipline us, to teach us for the purpose of godliness is the spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines. And what I'm talking about, as I'll explain here in a second, is Bible reading, fasting, prayer, silence, solitude. Let me read you a little list here. Again, I'm not going to cover all of these. Otherwise, we wouldn't get lunch and maybe not even dinner. But listen, the spiritual disciplines are for the purpose of godliness. So this book, Bible Intake, part one and two, prayer, worship, evangelism, serving, stewardship, fasting, silence, and solitude, often coupled together, journaling, learning, and then perseverance. These are, this is not an exhaustive list of the spiritual disciplines we can practice in our life, but they are some. Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, has it split up into two different categories. 
individual disciplines and corporate disciplines. Things you're supposed to do by yourself and things you're supposed to do with the body of Christ. Pick up those books. Ten bucks on Amazon for this. This book. You got ten bucks. If not, I'll buy it for you. Sorry, babe. Um, Dallas Willard's book, The Spirit of Disciplines, in it he says, and I love this quote, he says, if we have faith in Christ, we must believe that he knew how to live. We arrange our whole lives around the activities he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of his father. We believe in Jesus, amen? We believe he knew how to do this. So we model our lives after him. For what end? To remain constantly at home in the fellowship of the Father. That's good right there. I want to warn you. Before we jump into any of this. We have to limit ourselves to the spiritual disciplines. That are found and modeled in the word of God. Some of you might say. Gardening is a great spiritual discipline for me. Or running is a great spiritual discipline for me. I'm glad you have that. But here's the danger in that. Because if you say that, somebody can come say, well, you know what? Gardening does the same thing for me as reading your Bible does for you. Is that true? How can putting plants in the ground... Apart from general revelation, I get that. Tell us God's word, commandments, teach us his love, show us his ways. Running does the same thing for me as, as, as worship does for you. And, I, and I'm not putting parameters around worship or any of these ways you interact with God. Listen, I'm talking about the spiritual practices for you to encounter the Father for the purpose of godliness. And we just got to be careful. Number two, the danger of going outside of biblical spiritual disciplines is we should not be the one to diagnose or analyze our spiritual health and treat it ourselves. Jesus is the great physician, amen? And if he has medicine for us in, in a set way, you go to the doctor, he tells you, hey, you need to do this. And you say, I'm going to eat soup. He's like, that's not going to heal you. Uh, I, I connect with soup. It really speaks to me. Campbell's is my boy. <laughs> you're, you're not listening to the one who knows how to heal you. Jesus knows how to heal you. He's given us his word, set up examples and wants us to walk in them. Here's another thing. Spiritual disciplines are a means to an end. They are not the end themselves. What do I mean by that? Zacchaeus, you know the story of Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man, right? Watch it. He climbed the sycamore tree, not because he was sick and wanted more. Terrible pun, sorry. He climbed it to see Jesus. In the same way, we practice spiritual disciplines 
to create channels and opportunities for us to encounter God. It, it allows us to set apart special things to encounter God. So let's move forward. Dallas, he says, people who think that they are spiritually superior because they make practice of a discipline such as fasting are entirely missing the point. The need for extensive practice of a given discipline is an indication of our weakness, not our strength. As a rule of thumb, if it is easy for us to engage in a certain discipline, we probably don't need to practice it. The disciplines we need to practice are precisely the ones we are not good at and hence do not enjoy. This morning, it's not about self-effort. Okay? The spiritual disciplines are just things you do, not character traits. And the reason I'm saying all this, and you're like, what's he getting at? Is because that heart right there of pious self-denial, of religiosity, is the heart of the Pharisee. When they go up in front of the church, I read my Bible every day. I pray for six hours every day. And it's nothing more than checking off a list. That's religion. That's where Jesus said, man, the outside of the cup looks good. The inside of the cup is filthy because the disciplines are an inward to outward process. So if you don't let the disciplines work in you, it ain't gonna matter. You ain't connected with it. Train yourself for the purpose of godliness. What is godliness? Knowing God. So I want to warn you, as I show you, I'm just gonna show you four, I believe, disciplines this morning for you to practice in. And then I'm gonna show you why it's good to practice discipline. I'm gonna give you a picture of what it will look like if you continue to endure in these things. But I want to warn you to not become religious about this. There's a very legalistic mindset you can get caught up in and you will begin to praise the discipline and not the discipler. Amen? Amen. All right. We're going to start talking about the disciplines of abstinence. Self-denial, okay? This is the first category. We're talking about the discipline of abstinence. I'm going to read a lot, so I'm sorry. These are the ways of denying ourselves something we want or need in order to make space to focus on and connect with God. I'm going to say that again if you're going to define it. These are the ways of denying ourselves something we want or need in order to make space to focus on and connect with God. Listen, these the disciplines of abstinence, we're going to talk about fasting and solitude connected with silence. And there are others but I just want to touch on those two. These disciplines show us the battle between the flesh and the spirit within ourselves, okay? I got a lot of uh, scriptures to read through, so I'm not going to turn a whole lot in my Bible, but I'm going to read them out loud if you want to write them down and reference back to them later. The first one is Galatians 5, 22 through 23 and 25. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The disciplines themselves are not the fruit of the Spirit. They are the process in which we can attain 
the fruit of the Spirit in our life, okay? So the abstinence, if, if we say sustain from food, we are going to allow for an opportunity safely to practice warring, okay? Never, never, you don't go into the football game without practicing beforehand, right? You don't go into a CrossFit competition without working out beforehand. You don't lift, max out before you start training. Okay, there's like a process that you have to practice. You have to come used to, learn, train yourself so you can develop the skills, right? If I fast, then I am going to exercise the ability to sense when I'm yearning for something and denying it for the sake of God, right? It's like things we have. Give me one second. There much needed experience and insight into the spiritual battle going on within us. The lesson learned cannot be taught any other way. What it's like to say no to the lower nature, to the flesh. What tricks does your pl- flesh play on you? or your mind play on you, the way in which we desire, habit, distraction, and other factors will affect you will not be like anybody else. The way your body affects you and plays tricks on you is not like everybody. So you yourself have to practice this. And again, it's a safe thing. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedited. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. First Peter 2.11 says, I beg you, as those whom I love, to live in this world as strangers and as temporary residents, to keep clear of the desires of your lower natures, for they are always at war with your souls. And First Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Do I need to repeat any of those scriptures? So fasting... This is one way we can abstain, typically from food, okay? This is a spiritual discipline called fasting. It says going without food or something else like media for a period of extensive prayer, the fast may be complete or partial. So you can have a total fast as food, so you have nothing but water for all day or for the whole time you do a 24-hour fast and you do nothing but water. For the whole day, or you can do a partial fast, like the Daniel fast, where it's just fruits and veggies and nuts, no meat, no no dairy, no cheese, nothing like that. You you can look up different types of fast, but the fasting is to abstain from something, maybe Facebook even, and devote yourself to God. And when the temptation comes to to eat something or to look at something, you begin to practice the discipline of saying no to temptation. Isn't that good? Do we need that? I need that. You have to learn how to do that, though. You can't just expect an infant in the Lord to know how to automatically say no to temptation. One way to build that is fasting. Teach yourself to say no, to have a fruit of the Spirit called self-control. Esther 4.16 says, Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I... I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, okay? We know that Esther was a huge catalyst for saving the Jews during this time, but she fasted 
She fasted before she moved. She sought the Lord, God in his presence, before she went to the king. So often we move and we put our cart before the, before the horse, so to speak. Luke 5, 30, 35 says, But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. Again, we're just looking at scriptures for fasting. Mark, or Matthew, sorry, 6, 17 through, 16 through 17 says, And when you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces that they are fasting may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What is the purpose of disciplining ourselves? I'm asking you. This is what is the purpose of disciplining ourselves? Talk to me, people. Purpose of disciplining ourselves. Closer to God. Godliness, right? First Timothy four seven. I'm training you right there. Tell me the answer or you're going to run after church today. (laughs) We discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, not for the approval or praise of man. If we do that, we will receive our word reward, not what God has intended for us. Acts 13.3 says, So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Again, missionaries callings on your life moving out in the work of the lord it started with fasting and praying the upper room acts 2 pentecost started with people fasting and praying disciplining themselves learning how to to deny the flesh in order that the spirit would grow the second discipline that we're going to look at for abstinence is solitude Solitude. I heard a, a funny thing. Of course, I'm not a mother, but I heard the, the safe place for a mother is the bathroom. Is that true? No, it's not safe. <laughs> I always heard it's the one place they can like get away from the kids, but then you see the kids like under the door like, Mom, <laughs> Mom. It's the only door in the house that locks, right? How nice is it to have some solitude in your life? heavenly especially in this world of constant busyness things being thrown at us all the time schedules are going crazy media is talking to us solitude it's often coupled with silence but we're not going to talk about silence a whole lot solitude refraining from the interaction with other people in order to be alone with god and be found by him I love that right there. In order to be alone with God and be found by him. Mark 1.35 says, Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. little pitch for Impact Weekend a couple years ago. The theme was hit pause. And we looked at how many times in the Gospels Jesus removed himself from the masses, removed himself from the disciples, and got alone with his father. And he learned how to hit pause on his life. And he, he re- receded into a place of solitude where he practiced other spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting. Before he even begun his ministry, he spent 40 days in the wilderness by himself 
praying and fasting. Mark 6, 46 says, And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Isaiah 30, 15 says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Matthew 12, 19 says, He shall not strive or cry aloud, neither shall anyone hear his voice in the streets. Again, it's coupled with silence. It's quieting your body, getting rid of the noise so that you can be found by him and hear him. Mark 6, 31 says, come with, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Get some rest. Sabbath. It's refreshing. Those are two ways, guys, that we can remove ourselves from something to connect with the Father. Amen? These are two ways that you can implement into your life to train yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to come to conform you and change you into Christ-likeness. Just two ways. I'm going to do two more. The disciplines of engagement. See? So we had abstinence where we separated. Now we're going to engage with something. We're going we're to draw in. Okay? It says, Dallas Willard defines the spiritual disciplines of engagement as a, the routine Christian activities of prayer, study, and meditation that are especially powerful in the combination with disciplines of abstinence. Again, so when you recede into solitude, you engage into the word. When you receive into fasting, you engage into prayer, right? The disciplines of abstinence counteract the tendencies to sin of commission. So that means the, the desire to do something, the need to act, right? The commission to, you have the temptation. That's what the abstinence help us tame down. And then the disciplines of engagement counteract tendencies to sins of omission, meaning things we forget to do. That's how we, these things hand in hand, this is like the out-breathing and the in-breathing of spiritual training to Abstain from something and then to engage with another. To abstain from something and to engage with another. To breathe in and to breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. As we learn to endure in this, to build our endurance, to build our stamina, we have to at least start working out and engaging in these things. Otherwise, we're not ever going to build the lung capacity in the spirit to breathe in and breathe out. Galatians 5, 16 through 17 says, Here's my advice. Live your whole life in the spirit and you will not satisfy the desires of your lower nature. For the whole energy of the lower nature is set against the spirit, while the whole power of the spirit is contrary to the lower nature. Here's the conflict, and that is why you are not able to do what you want to do. Our flesh, spirit, fight against each other, and we often give in to our flesh and not the spirit, so we don't do, we're not who we want to be. Amen? Romans 8 12 through 13 says, So then, brothers, you can see that we owe no duty to our sensual nature. In other words, we're not a slave to sin anymore. To live life on the level of instincts. Indeed, that way of living leads to a certain spiritual death. But if, on the other hand, you cut the nerve of your instinctive actions by obeying the Spirit, you will live. If you sever, remove yourself from the flesh, from the instinctive natures that we're so prone to giving into, 
and let the Spirit lead you, you will break the power of addiction over your life, of temptation over your life, and you can engage another thing. Prayer is going to be the first thing that we're going to focus on engaging into. Prayer is conversating with God about what we're experiencing and doing together. As we see in the Lord's Prayer, the main thing we do in prayer is to make requests and intercessions to our Father for one another. Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Ephesians six eighteen, Pray all the time, asking what you need, praying in the Spirit and on every possible occasion never getting tired of staying awake to pray for all the saints. Prayer is an important way to engage with God and is coupled again, like I said, with, with removing something else. The second thing for engagement is study or Bible reading, see, seeking or searching for God. Reading, uh, trusting the Holy Spirit inspired words of Scripture as our guide, wisdom, and strength for life. Related disciplines include Bible study, scripture meditation, and praying on God's word. Acts 17, 11 says they searched the scriptures day and night to check up on Paul and Silas' statements to see if, see if they were really so. First Thessalonians 5, 21 said they test everything that is said to be tr- sure it is true, and if it is, then accept it. We study the scriptures to find it approved, find ourselves approved, find the word of God to connect with his ways. So here's the deal, guys. We have to do this in the right motivation of the heart. We can fast. We can pull away and find solitude. We can pray. And we can study the scriptures. But if it's done, again, like a Pharisee, you're going to miss it. You have to do it in the spirit. And this is where I've been trying to get to this whole time. Turn with me to Ezekiel 47. Spoke, can you turn on a little CD number two? On the study. get with you after this turn to Ezekiel 47 listen I know that was a teaching and I'm not a teacher okay it can get a little dry but if we don't know how to work out or what to do then we're not going to get anywhere we're just going to spend our wheels this Bible will tell you how to do the disciplines. You can buy books of people who studied and they set it all out in a pretty cover-to-cover layout for you to understand. But if you don't have the motivation of why we need this, then it doesn't matter how much teaching you have. If you don't have the motivation of the desire, like I started off with, of getting into God's presence, just wanting more and more of Him, then it doesn't matter how much you read your Bible or pray or fast or whatever. Your motivation will fizzle out like every New Year's resolution for most of us. 
and you won't be where you want to be or who you want to be. Ezekiel 47, I'm just going to read this passage. It says, In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gate and led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing out through the south side of the east gate. Measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet. My Bible already converts it for me. 1,750 feet, and he led me across. The water was up to my ankles. This is infancy. This is the beginning of walking with Christ. He measured another 1,750 feet, and he led me across. This time, the water was up to my knees. Another 1,750 feet, and it was up to my waist. Then he measured another, and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim, but too deep to walk through. He asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back along the riverbank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, this river flows east from the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Fishermen all stand along the shores of the Dead Sea all the way from Igidi to Ingiglium. The shores will be covered with the nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will, be, will fill the Dead Sea just as they fill the Mediterranean. Skipping down a little bit, it says, The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month. For they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be our, for food and the leaves for healing. You guys see the parallel there? Jump over to Psalms chapter 1. Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. That's the purpose. That's the goal. As, as we come into the temple, we see the river of God, the direction He wants to take us, the path He's called us to, and we don't go ahead of Him, we walk with Him. And He leads us. And He shows us, how deep is it now? It's ankle deep. 
And he teaches us how to, how to be there and to stay beside him. We don't get distracted by the birds or the trees or the flowers right here. And he takes us in further into our, our calling, our life with him, our relationship. And it gets deeper and deeper and deeper until we're in over our heads in his presence. And when that happens, what does the scripture say? It says, life will flourish. That's what I want. I don't want to be spiritually dead. I want life to flourish in me. I want to, Psalm says, they meditated on it day and night. That's the consistency. They're practicing endurance to continue in this thing. Planted along the riverbank. Not going anywhere. Right by him. In his presence. Being sustained by his waters. Bearing fruit each season. Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness. Being led by the Spirit. Prosper in all they do. Favor, blessing, power. This is why we need the spiritual disciplines. This is why we need endurance in them. Because we want to look like Jesus the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We got to yearn for that right there, to plant ourselves right by Him and not be moved. Not let the flesh come. And sometimes you plant yourself and flesh comes and you get out of it. So discipline yourself. Train yourself with fasting to not do that. God is giving you ways to become a disciple, a learner of how not to do that. For the purpose of staying planted. For the purpose of bearing his fruit. For the purpose of his kingdom, his glory, his name be made much. That's why we need to consecrate ourselves. He is called holy. And if we take on his name, check this out. I might have said this last week. The second commandment in Exodus chapter 20 is, Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Ephesians 5 talks about how Jesus is the groom and we are his bride. Take in the Hebrew there also can mean receive. So it's just like a wife will receive her husband's last name. We too have received his name and call ourselves Christians. The ninth commandment is thou shalt not give a false witness to your neighbor. If you call yourself a Christian but don't act like our husband, are you in this family? Don't give a fault witness. Don't take his name in vain. 
He has called you for a purpose, set you apart. He is holy, so we are to be holy. We set ourselves apart for the things of God. We discipline ourselves. We train our arm for battle so that when the day comes, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. We find ourselves approved, working out our salvation so that we may be filled with the character of Jesus Christ. This is the Christian walk, ladies and gentlemen. This is how we do it. There's plenty of information, plenty of scripture, plenty of books. If you don't know how to get into the gym and start working out so you can get stronger, so you have better stamina, so you can last longer in your prayer life and in fasting, discipline yourself. Get a coach. Pastors are like coaches. Accountability partners, brothers and sisters are like workout buddies. You can get into the Bible together and help each other get stronger. That's why we need the church. Because it's like coming together and working out together. You don't have to do it by yourself. You're not the only one. So if I challenge you guys to pick up one of these books. Pick up one of these books, or better yet, just pick up this book. And, and with the sole purpose of wanting Him and nothing else, train yourself to pursue Him. Discipline yourself in that. And endure when temptation and the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you this morning, God, that you are equipping us to do the work of the saints. Father, you are sharpening our swords. You are strengthening our arms. You are unifying our team and our unit to take ground that the enemy has taken from us. Father, I ask that we would repent of the times we have heard your voice but not been obedient to it. Lord, teach us. Holy Spirit, put a yearning in us for you, for you alone. Let our roots grow down deep. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you want some of these scriptures or to look at these books or talk to me about any of this, I'm here. Otherwise, have a blessed Sunday. May you go forth, train yourself in godliness. Amen.